Hello and welcome to But Where Are You From, a podcast by BC, Britain's East and Southeast Asian Network. I'm your host today, Carly, and with me is our new core BC team member, David. Yay! Hi! <laughs> Thanks for having me. <laughs> oh, thank you for being part of our core team. I'm very excited to be basically interrogating you throughout this next hour on this podcast. I love that. <laughs> <laughs> Good. So the first one is a very easy question. though. How are you out of 10 tonight, David? Mm, I'm staying like six picking up to seven. Six picking up to seven. Is that because mm. you've got two throws on, so you're now warming up to a seven? Yeah, I think so. Like, yeah, obviously, you know, those listening cannot really see how I look like at the moment, but I'm just like layers and layers of throw because it's suddenly so cold. <laughs> let, let me paint a picture. So today it is a Tuesday evening. We've just done our uh, weekly BC meeting and we took a very quick 10 minute break for snacks. And David is swaddled in a number of throws against a very painterly backdrop of <laughs> what I believe to be mountains. However, perhaps it's also um, a representation of the swaddling of blankets that's enveloping you right now. That's a very artistic description of it, and I love it. <laughs> I mean, that's very kind, but I think it was a little shite. But anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I'm glad to hear you're heading up to a seven. Hopefully, by the end of the mm-hmm. podcast, we'll be a firm seven. Mm-hmm. But, um, David, I wanted to ask you, uh, where are you from, I guess? Yeah, well, I'm from Malaysia mm-hmm. and uh, born and bred there. And I've been there up till the end of high school. And it's quite common in Malaysia that um, parents send their kids overseas for tertiary education so I am very much a stereotype Malaysian (laughs) and that's why I ended up in the UK so I've been in the UK for about 10 plus years now and in terms of heritage I'm a Hakka Chinese Malaysian Uh, I wish I could actually speak Hakka but I can only just understand Hakka (laughs) you never told me that yeah, I know. I thought of just surprising you. And oh, I was actually oh hoping to see your reaction. So this is very satisfying. <laughs> I basically opened my mouth in shock and my eyes popped out. That's my <laughs> Oh, it. wow. Mm. And so I jumped right in with, but where are you from? But actually, I should, probably should have started with the, the normal introductory <laughs> questions of, you know, like, Tell us about yourself, your pronouns, first of all, what's your day job, where you live, how old you are, star sign, zodiac sign, everything. But obviously with the title of the podcast being, but where are you from? Um, thank you for sharing that you are, you grew up in Malaysia and you're also Malaysian Hakka Chinese. Yeah. That's <laughs> but yeah, please um, share with us, you know, um, what, what do you do in your day job and pronouns as well and Mm. Um, you're well we're both currently in London so I'm assuming that's where you you live and that's where you've been based for the past however many years Mm. yeah so um, my name is David Kam you can call me Jiawei as well which is my birth name Uh, and well really I've been named David this whole time as well but then my parents conveniently somehow decided not to put David in my birth certificate so um, that just meant a lot of admin nightmare (laughs) especially (laughs) on the visa situation but Mm. um, yeah I'm just coming to terms with uh, introducing myself uh, myself more as Jiawei because um, I think at, at one point when people say Jiawei I wouldn't even note that as people calling me (laughs) so yeah you can call me that too um and I am what else should I say let me think about the list that you shared yeah day job um I predominantly work in the wellness industry and I facilitate uh, mindfulness experiences and that's usually quite centered in the body um and that's because it's um kind of what I trained in so I did my master's in, in dance, but before that, I did a degree in architecture. <laughs> and so uh, lots of my 
offering is very spatially based and a lot of the wellness experiences that I now share is based on, you know, um, guiding people through sensory experiences and their experiencing of, of spaces uh, within their body. Wow, that is a super amount of um, introductory information for me to go on already. I've got, <laughs> I've, listeners, I've actually got this document where I've been typing away whilst David was talking about different information that he was sharing so that mm-hmm. I can then go back into and ask. And actually, I, I picked up, um, you know, you were mentioning that you wanted to introduce yourself more as Jiawei, um, mm although you were named David. Can I ask, you know, why that is? Because I'm with a lot of um, other, um, especially British people with a Chinese heritage that have a Chinese name. um, Mm. I've started to notice people having that as part of their, for example, email signatures or in their Mm. Instagram bios, or also, I guess, in a way of um, perhaps reclaiming as well as reconnecting with that heritage. And I'm sure this is the case for anyone who doesn't have um, or who has a name other than just English. Um, Mm. You know, yeah, I'm I'm fascinated to know how come is this like a a feeling that you've wanted to pursue um, recently or is this something that you've always um, been trying to sort of get your head around um, with your your Chinese name? Mm, I think it's more, well, relatively recent. So maybe in the past three, four years, and it's very much intertwined with my exploration with intersectionality. Um, I'm a queer person. And with that, I think there's a lot of complications um, in the way I relate to Malaysia as my home country Mm. because back home homosexuality is still illegal and so I think for a long time I felt like acknowledging my queerness meant having to abandon my country and and to to cut ties um, in that sense Um, and so having explored that uh, relationship and like being in a phase of trying to mend um, like this this connection to to my country mm-hmm. i'm learning to take back more, more more pride and yeah you know what like this is a part of me regardless and and how is it that i can celebrate my my name fully because uh, my name is not just david and you know it is my full name Kantiaway as well mm-hmm. and i think also um it's about kind of growing up as well i'm turning 30 this year and i'm learning more and more that I can take space and um, I think in the past when I wasn't really looking too deep into my identity and stuff it's more about conveniencing people and you know having come to the UK it's like well they're not going to get the pronunciation right anyway so why not just say David and it's not even just a UK thing because back in Malaysia we are so multiracial there and um, I find it really weird when people just call me Tiawei because they wouldn't even pronounce it um, in in Mandarin, it would be an English version of my right. Chinese name, okay. so it would be called Kiawei, which I always feel like, well, that's the one side of my name that I don't resonate to because it's not even really my name. It's just sort of you know like a <laughs> weird translation of mm-hmm. my actual name in Mandarin, and so I guess because of that, I just wasn't convinced, and now I'm learning to. Uh, kind of ditch that uh, translation and go straight to, you know, call me Jiawei if, you know, that resonates with you. If not, just call me David um, or, yeah, yeah. So that's where I am. <laughs> right, right. I, I, yes, yeah, definitely where, you know, that centering yourself, you know, rather than like for the sake of other people's, well, mm. predominantly, I guess, um, you know, English speaking or, um white British in the context that, that we're in, in in the UK, you know, that um, demographic. But yeah, no, it's, it's brilliant to hear as well, you know, and you were mentioning that it's in part also to do with your like queer identity and accepting that aspect or in, rather encompassing that part as well. And hooray, another queer member on the in the core team. It's really, it's, yeah, it's really lovely to have you. Um, and also another thing I, I kind of picked up on was, you know, you talked about um, like you, first of all, started in uh, architecture, right? Architecture mm. 
and mm. then dance and then wellness like there's a very wholesome theme uh, <laughs> you know being carried for and also the character in your name uh, Jiawei Jia means uh, family or home in mm. um in in Mandarin in Chinese so how did your journey go from architecture to dance and then wellness like how I'm really curious to know you know in a way I can see how space and um our relationship to our environment as a theme Mm. but I'm curious to hear about your journey yeah um it's really not all that glamorous at all thinking back because um the more and more I ponder upon this journey uh, which you know you can only make sense of a journey when you look in hindsight um it really felt like it was very much in parallel with um, me coming to terms with my identity. So I think the very first thing I pitched to my parents, you know, um, during high school time, like, you know, what do you want to do beyond graduation? And I said, mom, dad, I want to go into fashion design. (laughs) (laughs) You know, Asian parents. So I was absolutely shut down. (laughs) It was also because I was I guess I was lucky enough that I complement the way um, education works in Malaysia and so with that you know I do perform well so I've always been pushed towards you know the the science-based subjects and I've always been you know just pushed towards like being a doctor and blah 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 Mm -hmm. Um, and so architecture was actually um, uh, sort of a compromise because it was very much the epitome of a, a field that combines both science and the, the arts. So I have to say it was accidental. Um, okay. But when I got into architecture, I really enjoyed it. Um, I think... You enjoyed architecture? I, I did. Well, I mean, there are many things to say about it because uh, <laughs> there are parts of it that I really don't enjoy, like the lifestyle. And I, I wouldn't like use this as a blanket statement for all architects, but at least um, during my experience, you basically just don't sleep. Um, and that's why I think I just have this talent now to sleep whenever, like wherever. I can just even sleep standing. Um, so that's a huge gift that architecture has given me. Um, but but I think what I loved about architecture is the way you can be so um, um, divergent in your thinking you know you're constantly able to research so deeply into different aspects of things and um, I think from the experience there I've really learned to understand uh, the way you can experience um, and I think What's funny is at that time, I sort of discovered dance and it just became like my, like my breather in between these uh, lectures or these projects that I do. Um, and this whole time when I was doing architecture, I, I remember that my first, like the, the recurring feedback that I get from my lecturers is, um, David, we need you to design an actual building and no longer pitch installations <laughs> <laughs> because I was so into the idea of, of time, um, okay. you know, like, like just constant transformation of, of space. I love that. And um, when I was doing dance, it, it, I didn't quite connect the dots, but there was something there that really fascinated me to a point where even during lectures, I was choreographing dance like pieces um so then yeah and so it just happened that when I graduated from architecture I um my one of my dance teachers just asked hey would you consider full-time professional dance training and then I just could not get that thought out of my head so I just Mm. went ahead and I've never looked back now if I like rewind this a little bit the that my time studying architecture in university was also the time when I was coming to terms with myself, uh, you know, just going through the coming out phase. And mm-hmm. it was quite intense because um, I, I guess I have quite a bit of reputation in Malaysia, just sort of like with uh, school achievements and stuff and coming into um, the UK 
uh, and being quite immersed within the Malaysian like student society and in the UK, um, I I felt like there were a lot of eyes on me, and right. that meant I cannot take any like um, I just cannot take any risks in mm-hmm. almost being outed because it very much is a crazy rich Asian style, like you know the the tabloid situation. Oh, uh huh. With where yeah. the one text goes off and then yes. everyone in the whole it is very much like that. Minutes. Yeah. Yeah, because okay. basically, um, even you know, I kept it so secretive to myself, and I remember the first person I sort of came out to and confessed to. He is someone that was not even within my like network back home, but confessed to him, and somehow the news still got back to my mom, and then auntie oh, wow. drove to my mom's house to actually like relay the news, which was quite unfortunate, but. Um, yeah, so then anyway, that the point of it was that that was my state of mind during architecture. And dance has been that source of like like my coping mechanism. I was seeking right. dance because it, I couldn't quite explain why, but I found relief there. And you know, I my family is not really the most expressive in, in words, and I hate confrontations to this day. <laughs> and so there's something very peaceful about just moving your body. And um, at that point, you know, it's like moving to lyrics as well that I felt, you know, a nice relief. Um, then so I did my dance training and um, then I pivoted to wellness and this pivot was actually very much a legal reason because when I graduated from my master's in dance I wasn't given that many like choices in the options of how I can stay within the UK Mm -hmm. Um, and like you know an example would be if I were to um, try and attempt to get an artist visa it means yeah. I would have to be a Grammy or Oscar winning artist fresh out of graduation. How is yeah. that possible? And also if I were to um, audition for companies, they have to be very specific companies and there would be auditions that I would have successfully gone through, but um, those companies would uh, expect you to have figured out your own visa status uh, and not be doing it for yourself. Um, and so very little support very little support and the funny thing is um, when I go to these um, you know uh, program set or you know session set offer support they almost always end with oh well if all else fails you can just uh, pay two million pounds to secure your stay (laughs) at that point so it was just very like wow yeah great you know obviously not going to happen um, and so, yeah, I pivoted into to wellness really as a way to, to stay in the UK. But uh, again, it's such a serendipitous thing because I think um, coming into yoga and, and really dabbing into mindfulness mm-hmm. allowed me to then articulate what I have been feeling. You know, and I was saying in dance, I was just basically trying to survive and just find a coping mechanism Mm. I think yoga and mindfulness gave me that space to go well why did I actually need to cling on to movement like Mm -hmm. why um like what is it that I've been feeling so oftentimes I I just catch myself tearing up or just full-on bawling in yoga classes (laughs) oh wow it was just very much needed yeah, you know, I didn't necessarily feel that I need any comfort from like words from other people. It was just right, right. a container uh, of movement that makes me feel held. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah, like it wasn't like I guess you know for a long time I tried to justify like why did I go from here to there and there to here, and then I'm just realizing a lot more now clearly that um, it was very much out of survival and out mm-hmm. of my exploration of identity and and how at ease I am with who I am Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Mm. wow I can yeah that's that's such a wonderful way of weaving you know through although at the time you know I guess it would have seemed so disparate but now looking Mm. back there is such a strong underlying connection between all of that and Mm. I wanted to ask as well do you I would imagine that you know with your dance background um, and, you know, being so connected um, 
to movement and the body that that of course will inform how you um you know conduct your classes but do you still practice dance do you you know is that something that you keep up on the side or is that mm. um something that you would look to return to because i feel like now there seems to be more interest in contemporary dance as a form of performance art mm. so perhaps there are ways in which um you know there may be more support although there's very scarce support available but perhaps a way of of um looking at maintaining a practice like that is that something that you've ever considered or do you still do at all I always toy with the idea and my last performance actually was right before lockdown okay <laughs> like right before the first lockdown but even then I was already at a point of you know I will only pick projects that um creatively really fulfill me and um I think that just doesn't come as often anymore just because of uh, working commitments I think mm. um teaching has taken up a lot of my time and I have really enjoyed it. So a huge part of my focus right now is, although still anchored in movement, is very much in um, making that accessible, especially to uh, the older generations. Having said that though, I, I still see myself as a multidisciplinary artist. And one of my biggest dream is to be able to almost hold an exhibition, like in a space where um, it's, it's movement and it's, mindfulness and it's it's everything that I I am invested in exploring and I think that's how I've been seeing things like um you know if if I want to go into pottery I may just like go deep dive into it in the future and weave yeah. that as another part of my 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 palette of, of work so yeah I wouldn't count it out for sure but at the moment um I found peace with um knowing that a dancer is always going to be a state of mind within myself and yes. when the right project comes I will gladly accept it but otherwise my main focus at the moment is to um, keep movement accessible. Mm. Well mm. that that can be a separate uh, curatorial conversation that we have in the future. Yes yeah. <laughs> perhaps we can realize. Um, mm. uh, uh, um, I, I don't want to use the word comeback um, mm. because I don't think you've you've gone away for that long it's just that there was a pandemic but I certainly think uh, perhaps there may be something in the horizon then that we can discuss uh, for mm. a performance I think I'd be really interested in, in seeing where that might might lead um, but I but you know I also wanted to ask as well you're talking about how it also came at a time when um, you were you know thinking about your identity being queer mm -hmm. and also at what I imagine to be quite a, a difficult uh, point or certainly, um, you know, challenging in many respects um, to, yeah, to engage with that, that part, especially when you're under such um, pressure. Um, I, I wanted to ask, you know, when with being like queer and being EC as well, Aside from the fact that, you know, you were sharing how there was the pressure from home and pressure from like, people that you knew within the community, um, you know, how, how do you navigate um, that identity of being queer and also specifically Malaysian Chinese? Because personally, mm -hmm. I feel like um, there is a whole other layer in terms of like, the cultural identity and, and how it's perceived very differently to being queer and just white and British, right? Um, and also how there are um, different support systems in place here in the UK. And also, of course, there is just greater visibility um, for non-POC queer people. And um, in fact, coincidentally, you and I just um, attended Gigi Club over the weekend, mm. which is the UK's first um, you know, queer night um, or, or club night for um, queer and non-binary or trans EC folks. Um, and for me, that was probably really the first time that um, I saw that many queer East and Southeast Asians, let alone, you know, being in the room with them, the fact that, you know, I could mm. actually see folks. So I just wanted to ask about, um, you know, how, how has your journey come along from, um, that that moment or that time when um it was all very like um 
fresh I guess when you when you mm. confided in this friend and then like how has that come along you know since then and any I guess advice or yeah thoughts mm. yeah wow it's, it's really been such a long journey in many ways since that point because a lot of questions were were raised I think firstly if I go back to like being Malaysian Chinese and um, you know then coming to accept myself as queer like for me I I just know in my heart that I want to be um, a father and mm. um, that just was the biggest factor and you know at that point as well which was maybe like seven eight years ago it was like am I ready to um, you know, when you know that that's not, when you're not educated on many options, it was like, am I ready to possibly give up on the idea of parenthood? But then mm. there's also this whole journey of like, wait, like, have I just been conditioned to think that I want to be a parent or do yeah. I really want to be a parent? Yeah. So that's, I mean, a whole other tangent. But then, um, yeah, I think when I first navigated, I didn't realize like how how layered the process uh, of coming out would be. Because mm -hmm. um, I think when I came out to myself, I don't necessarily feel like I have given myself enough space to think through it emotionally. It was immediately survival mode of, okay, how can I, you know, how can I find, how can I understand ways of navigating this conversation with your family? How can I make sure that I am still able to continue my professional aspiration whilst dealing with this? Because bearing in mind, I was still studying, funded by my parents. And mm. although they love me very much, there is a very big possibility that they could go, well, UK is turned UK, so come back and you're not gonna study there anymore. Yeah, um, yeah. Yeah. So there are these things to consider as well. And so it was just a lot of this, like, um, you know, survival mode type thinking of, okay, what do I need to do? Um, how can I, um, yeah, just how can I prepare them into this mindset? Um, so when I, I think when I came out to them, I remember uh, giving them a really thick file <laughs> of like resources because I was just so I just really came at it from an objective point of view right. and I think my biggest finding is that you know coming out to your parents essentially it's um it in involves a grieving process from their end not that they're disappointed in you but it's almost mm -hmm. like a surprise that oh I I didn't I realized i don't know my child yeah and so yeah. it was a lot of trying to find a support for them but even having come out I felt like it took years to um, you know it was years of coming out again and again and again mm -hmm. and again until my parents are ready to make that conversation and I'm already in a fortunate position where I am the youngest of four sons um okay. and yeah and I know like in a lot of my friends back home especially you know the lone child and a son of a really big um like already successful big name family mm. the pressure that they have it's quite crippling yeah yeah um yeah so then that's I guess one aspect of it and in terms of you know being an easy person in the UK navigating queerness I I can only say I'm grateful like UK has been the place that has offered me the space to even consider what self-expression is for me because I mm. remember you know back in Malaysia I I felt pretty much like a robot because like I was literally taught to walk and talk and and behave like a, a man and it only was when I came here and when I saw so many different ways of of being mm. that yeah helped me come to terms with myself and find ease with that having said that um I, I was meaning to share this with you as well um, just before heading to Key Club um, that at the night when we were on the overground a fight actually broke out um, <gasps> on the overground and 
I felt I, I I still feel a pinch of guilt because when the fight happened, all that like happened with me was an immediate shutdown and free state. Um, and you know, I took um, I I was pondering like about this for this past few days, thinking, gosh, like I couldn't even get myself to the place um, where I could seek support even from you know the periphery. Why is mm-hmm. that? And then I'm just realizing how, gosh, like um, there's still this inherent fear that I'm not just. Asian, <laughs> but I'm queer as well. And that makes me extremely vulnerable yeah, in situations yeah. like that. Um, but at the same time, being um, a man, which sometimes I still find really weird saying, like, it's so weird for me to say I'm a man because I just keep saying I'm a boy <laughs> or a child. <laughs> uh, so just saying, you know, being a man, it, yeah. it's just really weird that, like, uh, yeah, like, I ca- I just cannot see myself inserting um my my being into that that situation and, right right you know processing the layers of fear that I have because of the person I am mm-hmm, which mm-hmm. is a bit like uh so yeah like it's weird I'm so grateful for the country but still things are not like it's still not all sunshine like I'm still you know walking around with um a degree of fear that would surface when provoked. <laughs> wow, no, I had I had no idea about that incident. Um and I and I can imagine it, you know, being quite yeah, being tricky in that how do you at once protect yourself but also um you know it is difficult when you when you witness mm. things like that and then you come away with a feeling of um you know why why didn't I or why couldn't I? Um mm. but I think it's also perhaps um it's something that I've I've learned to remind myself is that also to be forgiving mm. forgiving in that um you know whether being in a, in a queer body or being in like a an Asian body like um these fears and worries and these sort of um I don't want to say inaction because it's not that we we actively choose to be inactive. It's just it's it's mm. a byproduct of yeah. what has been imposed upon us, right? Um, you know, I think there it's it's part of a very long um journey of processing. Um mm. and yeah, I guess um that that experience I don't think is talked about enough um Mm. and certainly is very rare to come across um I think you know for me anyway I've certainly I don't actually know very many queer EC people um to Mm. even like chat to for example um so yeah no I, I think um you know when you were talking about that grieving process Mm. I guess it's part of uh the unlearning and um unpacking in a way similar to, as you were saying, whether you're conditioned to want to be a parent or if that's something that you really wish to have. And I think mm-hmm. perhaps for a lot of our parents, um, that's another aspect of conditioning to believe our children should be in a, in a certain way or, or, yeah, like, as you say, they've perhaps projected or had all these expectations or beliefs of what they're child would be and then when they come to actually realize well you know it's it's slightly different so I yeah Mm. that like the way you've sort of described that um process I can understand that yeah it is in a way grieving and grieving for perhaps um a change in the dynamic between um parent and child right because I think Mm. of course these conversations they're they are very you know you're you're you know you finally treat your parents and well not finally but you know, you, you engage with your parents as an adult and they have to engage with you as an adult rather than just mm. the parent and child dynamic. Um, so, yeah, I, I, but I also wanted to ask then, um, you know, that to me also seems like a very key turning point um, mm. in exploring your um, EC heritage. Um, but another thing that brought me to mind was Kindred Packet or Kindred Packet. Mm. 
And that was an amazing initiative. And in mm-hmm. fact, has was the very thing that has led us to be having this um, conversation. Because I remember um, your email um, that you had reached mm-hmm. out to be seen asking, um, you know, what what you could do or how or that you had this idea that you wanted to do and I think that must have been in was it 2020 2021 21 yeah okay and mm. I remember you know we, we saw the email and we were like yeah let's you know David go for it you know go for it and we'll support <laughs> and what you ended up launching was this incredible feat because it was yourself and was another friend um mm. that headed the the program and you fundraised a lot of money um and put together events and coordinated and since then uh, since the success of that uh, not only have you know charities um or small nonprofits like ourselves have benefited but also developed like new connections um you know fostered like a way for communities to connect um, and also, you know, we've now become not just colleagues in a way, but as friends. Um, so please tell us <laughs> about, um, you know, how that formed, um, you know, what motivated that. And uh, mm. yeah, is it Kind Red Packet or is it Kindred Packet or is it both? It's quite funny, actually, because um, I kind of deliberately, you know, that came to mind when we were just discussing this, uh, the name, uh, Kindred Packet, Kindred Packet. And I, I was just like, you know, for the fun of it, I was like, oh, let's just keep it, keep it vague because then people will will talk about it and ask about it. But it's to a point now where I, I was like, maybe I should be clarifying it. <laughs> but really, there's, I don't mind. There's now like a, a divided camp between yeah. Kindred Packet. Kind of yeah, it's like, which team are you on? <laughs> but um, I like that they mean both things. And um, uh, for, for me, in my heart, it's always going to be kind Red Packet because I was just inspired by the idea of Red Packet. And I guess like, you know, this whole thing started when I was just feeling very depressed. And, um, you know, like many people over lockdown, I hit like rock bottom mentally. I took a full year out, uh, sought therapy, cried buckets. <laughs> and, you know, when when it came to taking so much time off work, um, firstly, I hit on your financial security. Mm-hmm. Um, but secondly, this questioning of your sense of worth is like, do I know how to do anything again? <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's, it's that. And so I think uh, a big part of my therapy process was, um, you know, my therapist telling me to just be a child again and act from desire. And so a huge uh, like part of what that meant was that I would only make myself do things that I want to do, however um, pathetic it might sound. And it was like, oh, I'm going to pick up singing classes. I'm going to learn piano. Mm. I'm going to go into song, like all of that. And so Kindred Packer was actually the first huge like impulse that I felt in my body that I uh, was very scared of because I was like, how do I pull this off? But I just knew that, you know, I had to go with it. And it started when, you know, it was a month before Lunar New Year last year. And I was feeling sad, but not like, you know, rock bottom, but just like really sad that I wasn't able to be with my family. They're all in Malaysia and I was feeling very homesick. And I just thought, you know, in my line of work, I was just gonna, well, I'm just gonna, you know, do a a zoom yoga class for you know any easy friends and at that point I don't know many easy people at all mm-hmm. it was really like five six people and they are like my students and that's it <laughs> and then I don't know what came through my head but I was just like when when I was organizing this yoga class I thought wow I'm I'm feeling really happy I'm actually looking forward to organizing this gathering and Mm -hmm. it made me realize like how powerful it is when you can convert like someone's energy from like dejection and simply just not knowing what to do to a place of anticipation and excitement and the process that I went through myself already felt so healing that I thought well then why not I ask other people to host something yeah, yeah. Because I think a big part of my insecurity is that I feel like, oh, like I have nothing worthwhile to to share and, and offer. 
Um, so, you know, when we start the Kyra Packet, uh, we just were very mindful that this will be a very grassroots thing where, like, it could be just one person asking for a Zoom date, and that would have qualified as an event in our campaign because, um, yes, we're raising money, but I think the bottom line is that we wanted to raise connection, like meaningful exchange. Um, and that's why I called it Kyra Packet because. I get transported to the moments every time I exchange a red packet with an elder. Um, mm, mm-hmm. You know, it's like sometimes I don't like that auntie. Like I actually really don't like that auntie, but still it's a moment that you share so intimately with that person. And they would just take it and go. It doesn't matter about yeah, the auntie. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Have you ever but seen that? Still... Um, <laughs> did you watch that Nike advert that came out? I think it must have been a couple of years ago. And it was a Lunar New Year advert. And it was the the girl in, in the video, she had these, <laughs> I think it was red Nike trainers or whatever it was. And mm. every lunar new year she would be given a red packet. And obviously it is kind of custom to politely but falsely reject and you accept it right but then in this video in this advert she's trying to run away from her auntie and then it's it reverses at the very end where I think she gets a pair of trainers and when she's running away her auntie also has the same Nike trainers and they're running all over like (laughs) I don't think I've watched that one. Oh, I'll to you. Anyway, that was a, oh, that's so funny. a tangent, but um, yeah, like take it and go. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but it's it's that's the funny thing. It's like regardless, it's always experienced as a sacred moment. Yeah, and and that's what I loved about it. And also, I think um, uh, a huge seed that was planted in me uh, towards this starting of current packet was parasite. Uh, the Korean movie okay and my gosh like that just completely stirred me and um it's very much you know I'm not going to spoil the the movie but I'm pretty sure anyone who tunes in who tunes into our podcast would have watched it but um it really brought to you know uh the forefront of my mind this idea of class disparity which made me just think about gaps in general and like with current packet it made me think about um, generational gaps as well and so like uh, to this day you know now that current pack has grown a little bit more we're looking into ways of bridging these gaps you know intergenerational gaps and also um, class gaps um, but through a way of meaningful exchange and um, again always back to this sense of self-empowerment and self-worth which is why when we um, over heritage month when we started the storytelling campaign it was kind of the same thing but we just wanted to focus more on how everyone has a story to share and then we just start there and see what comes um, and regardless of the quality of the story it's more like the first step of making people in our community believe that their voice deserves to be heard and even if it's just one person reading a story it already feels so empowering that gosh yeah like I've just taken space <laughs> mm. you know mm-hmm. yeah yeah and and to hear as well like you know stories that they don't necessarily have to be like you know super exciting or dramatic but just simply hearing someone else share that and I think it would naturally encourages other people to do the same and you know, to be in a space that's hosted by um Kindred packet or kindred packet you know you you've got such an infectious quality and a smile to you and like this <laughs> this just general like yeah like happiness and and warmth and it's a real safe space and I think mm. um yeah it's so exciting to see how that started off and how that's kind of come of its own and where where you know that will lead and I think um as you say that that connection issue has I think has been long needed um and it's just been spurred by you know what's been happening over the past year and a half two years and I think now that everyone's got a little taster for it I think it can only just you know keep growing and growing and growing and I also wanted to ask as well, you know, you, you were talking about how, um, you know, you grew up in Malaysia and at the time that you founded Kindred Packet, you, you know, you were really missing like family and you've recently mm. come back from a trip um, from Malaysia. And I wanted to ask, mm. 
how was that how was being you know back in um where you grew up do you still see that as like your home country like you've been in the UK for a while now Mm. would you want to you know relocate to Malaysia like tell us about your yeah I guess maybe relationships quite a heavy word to use but um yeah tell us about how how your trip was and just what what you enjoyed and what you missed about Malaysia yeah I think this this trip back was most definitely uh like like a pivotal trip compared to all of my trips back for many reasons. I think lockdown having taken away my choice to go mm-hmm. back has mm-hmm. given me such a newfound appreciation to where I still identify as home, home. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when I went back this time, there was nothing that I took for, for granted. It was very much like, my gosh, the trees, the food, the the, the, the accents and you know, mm-hmm. the people, even even those aunties that I found annoying was like, hi, <laughs> let me hug you, you know. <laughs> it was like to that to that place of like immense gratitude. And um, you know, as I've said, uh, with the coming out process being such a, a layered one, um, it's been about seven, eight years since coming out. Um, I'm really happy to share that uh, just a few days ago, my mom, basically because I just bought um, my next trip back home to Malaysia in December, um, <gasps> she oh, was, yay. yeah, and she was saying how, oh, um, uh, is Wayne coming back? And Wayne's my partner. And um, she said, well, when when you both come back, uh, we're organizing a family photo shoot so he could be a part <gasps> of our family portrait as well. Oh, and that was goodness. just, oh. yeah, that in short, um, you know, just sort of encapsulates where we are um, in the, the coming up process. It took a lot of work, but that's where uh, we, we are. And with that, I think um, this time going back to Malaysia was very hard because I think every time I go home, I like on the last day when I, you know, when I have to go back to the UK, it always comes like in my mind that uh, like why why did I leave this place again? Mm-hmm. Uh, but that would always be kind of uh, I guess ruined <laughs> by a passing comment by my my dad. And I mean I I love my dad to bits, but you know there would be um, certain things that you know he would share like um, well you're free and single anyway to do whatever you want. Um, mm-hmm. You know that just kind of it's like a little jab that I like that would just make me that would just remind me of like yeah well this is this is why you know this is why I I, I left in the first place um with no hard feelings to him but just you know it just yeah. was a reminder of a thorn uh, but with them being so on board with my relationship right now I almost was left with no more excuse of why I left Malaysia in the first place mm-hmm. so coming back was very hard it was like oh my I actually would have been happy staying but if I could I would extend my trip to basically just making it a one-way ticket you know (laughs) Uh, but obviously Wayne's back here and you know that's another kind of conversation of how but um yeah so it was hard I think just going back and forth is always quite um jarring Mm -hmm. because it's like leading two separate lives and uh, but at the same time, I understand that it's always going to be a very biased perspective um, when it comes to um, comparing my experiences, because, of course, at least for now, my experiences back in Malaysia is always when I'm a tourist and I'm the baby of the family. So when, <laughs> when I'm always taken care of, yeah, it's yeah. always going to look so much greener than when I have to fend for myself and wash my own dishes and, you know, those kind of things. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, I think um, it has been a very healing trip. Um, I did have a bit of a scare just in terms of my body because every time I go back, um, you know, just like my, uh, most people, it would be the food, right? Like, oh, I miss my Malaysian food so much and I can't wait to basically just have an eating spree. Yeah. And for the first time, I wasn't actually craving anything. I was like, I, I, I loved, I really appreciated eating um, you know food from home but it was like mm. Mm, it's so nice but it wasn't like I needed to um, but I, I think by week three of my stay I started craving 
food in the UK. And I almost feel so embarrassed to say this out loud, but <laughs> it was like, I don't know, like my body is sort of telling me that it's really, it's been so long that I'm acclimatizing to like UK life. <laughs> it's coming home and it's, it's scaring me. It's very destabilizing. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's what were you craving in particular? Potatoes. I mean, no well when I say craving UK food it's still Uh not British food it's like like things you get in Chinatown and like I I am such a sucker for Mama Sun's ube ice cream that's number one I love 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 Japanese food um in particular sticks and sushi is there's something about sticks and sushi that although it's really expensive I just keep falling for it (laughs) um and uh, what else? Bun house, like that's also like always like at the top of my list, and I think it's because it's still like it's an a it's a modern take on what I still associate to home, you know, okay. mm-hmm. and it's so because of that it makes it feel even more homely because it's mm-hmm. like very tailored to my palate, which is the mix of both. Mm. Um, I'm not just Malaysian now at this point I really could consider myself Malaysian British and I think with um, you know food that I find in Chinatown um, you know uh, with their food being inspired by that blend of culture Mm. I feel like I really taste it Mm. yeah Mm -hmm. so in a way that kind of resonates with not just a palate but also an emotional or psychological you know identity in a way I think so mm. yeah mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah well, that's really you know now that you put it into words far better than I would have been able to verbalize <laughs> but that makes a lot of sense and I can yeah I can understand why because I think sometimes when I mm. go go to Hong Kong for example and whilst you know I absolutely will eat anything there <laughs> there are sometimes points where I feel oh okay this it's slightly different to what I'm used to because at the end of the day I grew up here and my mm-hmm. palate is um very used to what you get in the UK and and yes yeah, it's, it's another I guess it's another aspect that I'm still learning about and I'm uncovering and um that I'm yeah, exploring so mm-hmm. yeah, okay okay and I guess this maybe leads us um very nicely um into kind of the the last few questions that I have um mm. that's you know it's so wonderful to hear that that your recent trip um I mean when you were telling me about that I was I was about to cry I was about to cry my eyes there it was so mm. it's just so heartwarming <laughs> to hear that you know I think yeah. there are loads of us that feel this need to um visit or revisit um places in in East and Southeast Asia just to um reconnect a little bit with with her um like heritage and her and her backgrounds and her families of course and friends and relatives mm-hmm. and it's just so lovely to hear that um you know it was difficult to leave in a very different way to what it has been before and mm-hmm. that you'll be heading again in December please mm-hmm. bring me along if you've got any room in your suitcase <laughs> very much like to pack you in and bring you and share you with my family <laughs> you should do a tour I mean like there's a few yes, I'm hoping to go well I don't know how likely it is but I'd love to go to Hong Kong towards the end of the year or even just anywhere um in mm. East Asia maybe I'll do a, a stop and meet you in in Malaysia I think that would be if I, I've got a, yeah, an absolutely. uncle I've got an uncle mm. in Singapore so why I might not just visit him and then I'll jump why over to, to Malaysia that's a really good plan last couple of questions um Hmm. as we round up um some controversial some more (laughs) open-ended um I'll start with the open-ended one um because I think that's yeah what brings you joy nowadays what's you know what what's yeah what brings you joy at the moment um I will always have to say Wayne he makes me very happy just um yeah just being very chirpy and perky and Mm. very invested in food as much as I am so that's always a plus (laughs) but also singing and I don't sing well by any means but um there's something about singing that helps me um yeah that just makes me happy so those two 
any anything in particular that you're singing recently that's bringing you extra um, joy? Um, Adele. Okay. <laughs> like, I like singing like the saddest things because I think maybe I'm just too happy and I tend to just listen to saddest stuff to like tone myself down. <laughs> And because they are the ones that tend to be quite belty. Yes. And um, a part of the reason why I even went into singing is because, you know, of this thing of like being scared of confrontation and, you know, not using my voice enough. So there's something very liberating about like belting and like opening my mouth and just letting my voice come through. Mm. Mm. Okay, so we can expect some... Adele from you and a karaoke night yeah I mean really cringy level of it but you sure <laughs> uh, if it's not cringy then you're doing it wrong I think that's the only that's way true. to do it right yeah okay yeah, well definitely. I'm looking forward to that um <laughs> listeners keep your eyes peeled for a very special video that <laughs> <laughs> okay right next one I mean you have to ask this Rice or noodles? Rice, 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 rice. <laughs> always, 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 always. Yes. Get it I love noodles. But noodle yeah. people. <laughs> mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. desperate times call for desperate measures. I've had, I've run out of rice in uh, where I'm staying at the moment and I don't have access to the bar and I've just been busy. I've not been able to get to um, an Asian supermarket. So I've been living off of noodles and potatoes for the past two weeks. And I won't lie. I'm suffering. I really miss rice. It's very hard mm-hmm. to get rice in your average supermarket. They only sell like basmati and, um, you know, pilau rice. They don't really sell jasmine. So the other day found myself a wee box and wasn't, wasn't what I was used to. But you know what? It's still jasmine rice. And my God, I miss the taste of rice. So I don't know how people can not have rice. I'm so glad. It's like if you, if you haven't had rice, you can really not eat it still. You no, know? right? And- yeah, it's just you've you've got to, and I I don't even know how you survive two. Did you say two weeks without? Oh, I think it's been about two weeks. So I'm it's I've been eating out a lot. <laughs> um, <laughs> okay. And I've been switching between like yeah, chips, potatoes, and noodles. And it, to begin with, it was fine, but my God, I'm at the end of my tether. I really need to have rice. So um, yeah. Yeah, I think I think yeah, I'm starting to feel like I'm not I've not really eaten. Um, yeah. so I totally agree. I don't know how people can do it. Um, <laughs> lastly, this is another very important question that I must know. Mm-hmm. What does a thumb-sized ginger mean to you? Now is it mm. your, your entire thumb from like the tip to where it connects onto your wrist and your palm, your entire thumb, or is it your thumb, as in like where you make the thumbprint? Well, <laughs> if so, okay. If I were to just directly answer this question, it for me actually it would have been the tip of my thumb to my first thumb knuckle, so okay. um, like the base, um, just before where it's my palm, uh-huh. but. This is not even of my concern because if this is in the recipe, I just still chuck a whole ginger because I love ginger. <laughs> so why even ponder? <laughs> okay, okay, fine, fine, but fine. Ginger? Okay, I'll give you ginger. <laughs> fine, okay, I'll I'll accept that because it's not exactly. Um, yes, I'll I'll accept that answer. <laughs> okay, now lastly, um, where can our listeners find you apart from through Be Seen? Yeah, um, you can, it's probably best to stay in touch on Instagram. You can find me at David Calm KW. So David Calm K-A-M-K-W. Um, and on my Instagram, you'll find my website as well that shares a bit of um, what I do uh, in the wellness industry. But also that's where you can find uh, Kinder Packet, my nonprofit. Um, and I'm always up for a DM. I, I always say, you know, my motivation of being on, on Instagram is particularly for queer and Asian young people. And so I am there as a, a virtual resource if anyone ever feels the need to just have a chat and not feel too alone in navigating through these processes because, um, yeah, 
I, I know for myself how much, how important it is to have someone like that um, mm. along your way. So, yeah. Oh, well, please, folks, send lots of love messages, um, memes and all that in David's direction. Um, but thank you so much for chatting me, chatting, chatting with me today, rather, um, <laughs> for the past half hour on a, on a Tuesday evening. I hope you're now on a solid seven and warmed up. Um, but this was But Where Are You From? A podcast by Be Seen, Britain's East and Southeast Asian Network. Um, do tune in to us next time. We tend to release our episodes on a Sunday. Um, of course, you just heard from David and me, Carly, and you can find Be Seen on Instagram. That's at Be Seen, so B E S E A dot N, and on, on Twitter at B E S E A underscore N. Uh, if you want to buy uh, either David or I a big bowl of rice, uh, then donations are welcome via our coffee page, um, which you can find in the description below. And also keep an eye out for an announcement that may be coming out soon with regards to this year's EC Heritage Month. We want EC Heritage Month to be a nationally uh, recognised month of recognition of our heritage and community i guess so for more information you can head to bseen.co.uk forward slash ecesea dash heritage dash month to find out what we're up to um for this coming year but yeah thanks for tuning in bye bye